Good evening. You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me tonight is my colleague and occasional guest, freelancer Andrew Gruen. Andrew, welcome back to the show. Hey, Rob. How are you doing today? Doing pretty well. The Blackhawks are uh, making good <laughs> progress in the Stanley Cup playoffs, so I'm in a good emotional place right now. If they go to a Game 7, I'm dead. <laughs> I always forget that you're a Chicago hockey fan, even though you live in Boston. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I'm also a Boston hockey fan, so this is this is yet another very good year for Rob. Uh, <laughs> anyway, Andrew recently kickstarted a book called A History of the Great Empires of Eve Online, and with 12 days to go, it has raised almost four times its original Kickstarter goal. Uh, it's a fascinating topic, and one I want to explore more in depth. So when Andrew suggested our next two guests, I absolutely could not say no. Uh, first, we welcome Manny, a fleet commander with Pandemic Legion. Manny, Welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing? Glad to be here and uh, really f- glad to be able to participate in this. And we also welcome Mola, a former alliance leader of Evolution Corporation, one of the oldest corporations in EVE, and the former head of Bob. Hi. How you doing? Not bad. Uh, so I think EVE gets increasing coverage in mainstream games publications, like the ones I often write for. There's there's often this sort of curiosity about what's going on in the world of EVE. It seems like every six months or so, there's a massive battle. Everyone is fascinated by what the hell is going on in EVE for a week. And then it tapers off, and EVE can, goes back to sort of being this, this uh, sort of unusual niche MMO uh, that a lot of people have heard about but don't really understand. And I think a good place to start is so you're both you know basically fleet officers in the world of e but what does what does that mean what do what do you guys do uh in eve as sort of operations officers i uh i generally uh am a fleet commander which uh consists of um leading uh other players uh into conflict and uh and that conflict can be anything from just a casual fight to full-on um, conquest uh, of territory. That's Eve is such a big, big game. It's huge. It's massive. That's why you hear those insane headlines every six months when when things go down and it's big. It's really big. As in, there's major, major implications for like. 10,000 people all done in two hours. That's why you hear about it. I do about the same thing as Manny, or I used to. I kind of graduated and grown up and got a family, etc. So I'm a little bit more laid back. But uh, apart from what Manny is doing as in fleet commanding, I used to be an alliance leader as well, and that is way more administrative than uh, actually being on the battlefield and fighting. Right. So when people hear about these huge fights, uh, where are you in all of that? What is your role in, in when you say sort of things like administrating that? What does that mean exactly for you two guys? That means you have at least three monitors with at least 10 to 15 different comms lines. You have text, you have Skype, you have IRC, you have Jabber, you have several voice comms. And you're coordinating all that into <clears throat> one big massive fight, usually of some kind. So you're trying to bring communications together to try and figure out a, a picture of what this the fight actually looks like on the grander scale. Yeah. Right. Um, so, so one of the reasons why I wanted to, to do this show so much, one of the reasons why I got in touch with Rob to do with this is because Eve is to me like one of the most interesting strategy games in the world because of things like that. Um, because even though it was never really built originally to be a strategy game it has become one it's become one of the most interesting strategy games in the world and the reason for that is that in so many other strategy games things like comm systems like mola said um are sort of these abstract things they're sort of like like a stat on your toolbar or something like that or things like morale or courage in the face of enemy fire but in eve things like comms and, and morale are really not abstract at all and they're actually very very real um, and and those forces that you're fighting with the, the, the all 4,000 people in these giant fleet fights of so 2,000 or even if it's just 300 people they're all real people and they, they're actual humans and in EVE you actually have to command them and you actually have to make sure that they're in the fight and they're actually going to be there and all of that thing and I'm wondering from you guys one of the reasons why I want to talk to you guys in specific is to talk a little bit about 
what that means from an operational standpoint where you guys are, are, are generals and that means more than just coming up with strategies. It also means human resources and things like that too. Uh, Manny, I would love to get your thoughts on that as someone uh, who I know has, has had a lot of experience with that in the past. Yeah, um, it is uh, one of the biggest things you have to really take into consideration is um, is morale and um, appealing to the players that you have at your disposal. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, sometimes I, I almost feel like uh, in the role of an entertainer sometimes because <laughs> uh, uh, the more charismatic or uh, the more fun your operations are, the the more people are willing to log in and participate in them and um any numbers are critical uh, there's so many elements to uh what we do uh, you know the fog of war is, is real you need intel and that's uh um, very player driven um uh, so you need those you need those people to participate and uh so there's a lot that goes into uh, being a fleet commander versus just uh, giving orders and uh, et cetera. There's there's two things that kind of fascinate me there. Um, one of which is that sort of you know if I if I were playing a naval war game for instance, right? Just just as Andrew said, there'd be all these abstractions, but I'd also have tools to allow me to command large groups of ships and tons and tons of virtual AI players, right? Um, it would be, you know, it, the game would be designed to let me do that uh, with, with minimum hassle. And I'm, I'm just kind of curious from a practical standpoint, you know, I'm not sure how much of what has happened in EVE CCP ever really saw coming. Uh, but, <laughs> you, you know, when, when you, you talk about these these huge fleet engagements and coordinating the efforts of hundreds, thousands of players, I mean, do the, do the in-game tools even begin to let you handle that task? Like, you know, especially in the early days, I, I would love to hear, like, how you guys figured out how the hell to make f- large operations work. The only thing, the best tool you have is your personality and your voice. That's the tools you have to make people do things. You gotta make them do what you need them to do, and there's no tools for that. That's just you. No tools whatsoever, it's just you. Right, that's one of the interesting things when I I, I had talked to somebody um, about you, uh, Mala, um, and, and he said one of the most interesting things about you and the way that you command fleets is that when you come on the Jabber channel or when you come on TeamSpeak, everybody shuts up. You've got dozens or even hundreds of people just you know chattering away or whatever. But as soon as your voice is here, your distinct sort of booming voice, everything else stops. There's a sort of commanding aspect to that. And that's really fascinating to me. Well, it might have been that way in the old days. Nowadays, <laughs> I'm, I'm more low on the ladder and not really doing that stuff. But yeah, that used to be my trait. When you're in a fleet, you shut the hell up. <laughs> and you do what you're told, you do not speak, you do not do anything unless you are specifically told. If you do, you're in trouble. Is it difficult to maintain discipline like that? Mm, you're herding sheep. It's kindergarten. At the end of the day, uh, everybody knows that um, in order for uh, a fleet to function um, well, you need that... that um, that discipline um and everybody wants to win and um don't let Mally fool you he's quite the personality um, um <laughs> and uh so none of us really set out I, I know Mally didn't i didn't set out to become this these type of personalities it's just uh we saw a need for our, to help our team and for my perspective i just you know uh I wanted to help, and I stepped up, and it just kind of grew from there. And, I, you know, that's just the, the way it goes. It's very organic. 
So one of the things that I think is really gets people interested and gets really people really fascinated about Eve are these sort of huge, not just the big battles, but the huge campaigns that the big battles are a part of, and these incursions into enemy territory where you're you're leading a campaign to take sovereignty away from them. And that's such an interesting topic to me because it represents an end game to Eve that no other MMO has. And it's a, it's a type of strategy game that really only dozens, maybe hundreds, at most hundreds of players have ever played. Um, because you're talking about leading hundreds or thousands of people into a, into a common cause. And I was hoping to get a sense from you guys about what it's like to prepare for an invasion involving months of planning uh, into enemy territory. Like, what are you thinking about and how do you actually go about conquering territory? Logistics, logistics, logistics. <laughs> That's the key. You're, you're going to use 2,000 ships. You've got to be able to replace those 2,000 ships on an instant's notice. I mean, you need to replace them in two minutes. You need to be able to send them into battle again. That's the supply part. Then you have the strategic part. What are you doing? Where are you doing it? Why are you doing it? What are you hoping to accomplish? And you plan it into detail, as in every single little move. Where are we going? When and why? And those plans last about two minutes. <laughs> Just to piggyback on what uh, Molly said, there are so many elements that go into uh, strategic campaigns and, and, and just generally uh, anything you do in EVE. EVE, is, uh, Eve makes you work for anything in, in the game. It's Nothing comes easy. And when you um, add in an opponent who uh, is trying to uh, you know, not allow you to uh, succeed it only multiplies that and uh, to anyone on the sidelines wondering about Eva it, it is the greatest game I have ever played uh, and uh, like I said it makes you work uh, for success but it is there's mo no more uh, enjoyable experience uh, than uh, the success you can uh, have in even any other game you, you talk about the logistics of arranging these operations and herding all these cats in the same direction. And I have to ask, like, what about operational secrecy? Because if I'm playing a war game, I don't have to worry about one of my little AI guys just sort of shooting the shit in, you know, vent or something and telling someone else that I just told them, go here and wreck some stuff. Uh, but it sort of seems like... You know, in in, in in actual military, people are sort of used to you go here. You don't know why. You just go. You don't, you, you don't ask. But imagine players, there's a little more, ultimately, they don't have to do anything. Uh, so how do you manage to arrange these really complicated operations while still making sure that it's going to go off without being compromised? <laughs> Uh, to be honest, I don't think you like the answer, but you do a lot of it yourself. <laughs> you, you do. I mean, you have circles of people. You have trusted people. You have very trusted people. And then you have the close people. So in the end, you're going to have 10 people at the most. That is a lot, 10 people. If you have 10 people knowing what you're doing, that's kind of bound to get out. Mm. But we have those 10 people. They're going to be providing logistics for 2,000 people for six months. So that's what's happening. Right, and, I, and I've, I've often heard in the past that the best tool that you can have when you're commanding uh, or planning something in EVE is just to assume that people will find out about it and that it's going to leak and that the enemy is going to figure it out and just don't, don't plan an invasion or don't plan a, any sort of plan based on the idea that the enemy is going to have no idea that it's going to be a complete surprise attack because it is so easy to leak information in the game. Yeah, espionage and subterfuge in EVE is so huge. It's such a huge component. Um, it's, it's so pervasive and extensive that organized groups will have huge uh, uh, setups our systems in place for um, infiltration of hostile groups, uh, electronic intelligence by like uh, intercepting um, communications, um, 
Uh, and then there's also huge amounts of development that goes into uh, counter counter intel uh, and 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 creating methods and uh, practices in which to uh, catch people that are um, you know uh, accessing your data or your information. Right. So I, I remember I had a conversation uh, with Alex Gianturco, better known as the Matani, uh, once a while back. And I, I was curious. He mentioned to me once that, that the corporation that he works for, known as Goonswarm, um, has on basically on payroll two private investigators in Texas who will basically try to track down and work counterintelligence for them. And I was wondering, I have this sort of unique opportunity right now to ask you whether or not that's just him blowing smoke or if that is actually something you think is relatively common where people will have people going outside of the game uh, to try and track down spies, that sort of thing. It depends on who you are, really. Uh, I mean, I have gotten packages sent to my work I have gotten packages sent to my home address. So, yeah, some people do that. Uh, for me, that's a total no-no. If it's not in-game, no, it's not happening. When you say packages, do you mean nice packages? It's from my enemies. Do you think it's nice packages? <laughs> oh, God. I'm curious. Like, oh, God. Morbid curiosity compels me to ask. What are people sending through the mail to their Eve enemies? Yes. <laughs> God. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know. I guess that that does definitely answer the question as far as yes, people are going outside of the game to not just fight with sort of honor inside the game, but also to go outside of the game to try and uh, get an edge that way, whether it's psychological or, or otherwise. Is is there a psychological benefit to try and uh, intimidate somebody by sending them a package? It all depends on who you are. I mean, yeah, I guess you can intimidate some people by doing that, but it's a game. It's pixels. We play it because we love the game, and the game is immersive, and you can't stop playing it. I mean, I've been playing it for 13 years. <laughs> uh, someone sending packages, who cares? Right. Um, so we talked a little bit about like an actual incursion into enemy territory, but what about when, when things actually... When things actually hit the fan in a battle, uh, you know, Manny, I know that you were you were the FC who reportedly started one of the biggest battles in Eve's history in BR5RB. The system name is BR5RB. Um, and listeners might have actually heard about that fight where it was in the headlines of all the gaming sites back in January where breathless reports came out about how, you know, $300,000 worth of ships had been destroyed. And none of that's ex exactly true. It's always a little bit, a little bit wrong there. But I'm wondering if I, if you can talk to us a little bit about what it's like to instigate a massive fight like that. Like, what are you thinking when you, when you know that what you're doing is about to encompass half, like half the game for a day? Uh, nerves, lots of nerves. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, sometimes you, just have to uh just go for it um sometimes you swings and sometimes you miss uh you never know how it's going to turn out you prep as much as you can you have uh, you go with the information that you have and you try to make the best of it and, and there's a there's a component of outplaying your opponent and there's mm -hmm. lots of things you can do tactic wise but at the end of the day um there's always that element of surprise, that element of chance, that the fog of war that you can't quite predict. Um, it's incredibly dynamic. There's nothing, there's no engagement in the EVE that ever is, well, we're going to do this, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do this, and it's going to happen this way, and it's going to happen that way. It, it's completely unpredictable, and it comes down to... Being able to take, uh, being able to have a good view of what's going on, being able to make quick decisions and uh, on imperfect information, and um, making the best of of uh, of things as they come. Yeah. So, um, one of the things that we had talked about uh, before the show was this. This fleet design that you had sort of invented called a slow cat fleet, and this was something that you had sort of um, invented yourself, and it was this, this new sort of paradigm in the, in the Eve metagame, so to speak. And I was wondering if you could talk to us a little bit about 
what spurred you to create that system and, and why, why was it created? Why did it work? And what is it about that design that helped you succeed in, the, in a battle situation? So Slowcats um, were an answer to um, uh, the meta as it was, uh, I guess, about 2012, mm -hmm. um, in that uh, the, the largest opponent that we fought used a fleet um, that was called Alpha Fleet. And Alpha Fleet was based off of uh, slow rate of fire, high damage uh, ships. So... Um, they basically alpha strike. Uh, everybody coordinates their their fire, and they can do lots of damage and um, in a single burst. Um, mm. There was very few platforms that could deal with Alpha Fleet. Um, at best, with the current uh, with with the current uh, the counters before Slowcat, the best you could hope for was uh, trading. Uh, evenly or um right things like that so slow cats were a high h ehp platform and um that allowed us to sustain the damage of alpha alpha strike and um was able to uh dish out a, a fair amount of damage uh and use alpha strike from uh drone sign and uh uh which is a mechanic that was uh, in EVE Online. Um, it allowed everybody to assign their their drones to a trigger, someone who would trigger those drones onto a target, uh, which would ca cause uh, like perfect alpha from all drones at once firing on the target. So that was the uh, catalyst for Slowcats, and that's what brought it into play, and uh, it's evolved since then. Um, into uh, a new uh, concept that we introduced last year called Wrecking Ball. And uh, so, yeah, it's pretty neat. So, basically, you're, you're talking about building these basically giant tanks that can put up with anything and then repair all the damage instantly. More or less. I mean, the Slow Cat is a bigger ship, and it can soak up way more damage to be able to deal with the Alpha Fleet. And that way you can actually stay alive while you deal with the Alpha Fleet, as in trying to kill the Alpha Fleet. At worst, if you get in trouble, you can actually out-tank them. So the expression tank till downtime, it's not a lie, because we have downtime every day in EVE at 11 a.m. goes for like 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you jump into battle, and you know... We are going to be sitting here until downtime because that's the only thing that's going to get us out. <laughs> you know, when you create, when, when you come up with with these plans, uh, I mean, first of all, when you talk about an EVE battle, how much management of the battle is really possible? I, I know that uh, certainly in a lot of war games that try to model realistic command and control issues, really the more realistic they get, the less you can actually do once the fur starts to fly. You need simple plans because once battle is joined, you can't really micro things very well at all from a high level. Um, so when, when you have an operation underway and, and heavy combat is occurring, uh, how much influence does the overall fleet commander have? Uh, and then I imagine, are there, are there subordinates making like decisions for smaller groups of ships? And then right down to the lowest level, like how important are decisions being made by individual uh you know pilots it definitely at all levels like um um in these large fights uh, a fleet need can contain 256 members uh sometimes in these fights each side will have 1500 players uh so you're talking five to six fleets each fleet will have a fleet commander uh each fleet will have five wings each uh, wing will have five squads, and each squad will have a squad commander. So there's lots of people uh, that uh, can affect what the fleet does. Uh, as an overall fleet commander, you're basically uh, watching the overall situation and telling your uh, sub-commanders to position or to concentrate on uh, X opponent or remove this threat um, or reposition um, so you do do some micro, 
at the individual player level, uh, the individual player can do a lot of things as well. Like, um, I, there's different mechanics in, in EVE, like being able to overheat your hardeners. Uh, it makes them um, uh, give a little bit more tenacity to your defense. Um, uh, making sure that you have good transversal velocity so that way um, there's uh, the damage you're taking is mitigated s somewhat by your uh, trajectory. Um, lots of little things that can happen in all of the different levels that feed into the overall demise or success of a fleet. So how much how much agency is the average pilot have in a in an actual fight? Are they basically waiting around to be told what to do, or is the average pilot making decisions that impact the battle themselves? I hope he's not. He should not. Uh, <laughs> I mean, in those huge fleet battles, you cannot deal with the individual. You gotta deal with the fleets as a whole. Each pilot in the fleet is important, but they gotta follow what the fleet is doing. They cannot go in and say, hey, I wanna go here because I like the looks of being over here. That I mean, that's just gonna mess him up. He's dead, he's gone. There's no way no, anyone is gonna save him. The pilots need to have their skills. They need to do some things, as in keeping the transversals up, uh, putting your hardness on overheat, etc. Some stuff like that should come natural to them, but the overall, positioning, what are we doing, who are we shooting, why are we shooting them, they shouldn't bother with that at all, as in, they, they should just, in that instance, be sheep, listen to the commander, and keeping your stuff together in one piece, that's your job, do what the commander says, and everything will be fine. Rob, I'm actually curious about how that um, stacks up into an actual like war game scenario. Like in an ideal situation, is that something that you would want in not in Eve, but in a real war or a real war game? Um, would you want your soldiers to be sheep, or would you want them making autonomous good decisions on their own? Well, I mean, it, it varies, right? Like every every combat engagement is kind of a sum of factors. So, like high level decisions control, you know, probably some of the most important elements of engagement. But all things being equal, then it comes down to the individual training of officers and the decisions they're making, and then that cascades down to, you know, are your sergeants leading their their squads more effectively than the enemies, uh, and does your average soldier, uh, you know, the the lowest ranking soldier, uh, is is that soldier more skilled uh, in their small element of responsibility uh, th than than their adversaries? But yeah, you don't want um, you you don't want you know like second lieutenants or something basically saying the hell with you know what the battalion or you know regimental commander wants. <laughs> I'm going to go over there uh, because because that's a disaster. But you know the the thing is in a war game that's all very abstracted. Like if if you're playing a war game, you are the general or you you are the colonel in command of the regiment, and so you have that agency. What I what's always sort of fascinated me about Eve and also sort of kept me at arm's length from it is that it sort of seems like, you know, for, for a few players, uh, EVE is kind of an amazing naval war game, a sci-fi naval war game, or it's, a, or it's a grand strategy game with diplomacy and intelligence and alliances being forged and territory control. But that's a game that only, I, I theorize, only really a handful of players get to play. And, I, you know, I've always sort of wondered about the people who kind of make the make up the um, the grunts of, of Eve, the people who are just commanding, you know, single, fairly small ships, who are just kind of the cannon fodder uh, for these large alliances. What what's in it for you to be like? Okay, in my free time, I'm going to go take orders from these strangers <laughs> and be a sheep. Uh, you know, to make sure that the plan the plan go goes all right. And I've always I've always sort of been curious, like. I assume at some point you guys were starting out Neve. You you guys were nobodies, and then you sort of stayed with it and climbed the ladder. And I'm curious what what what's the reward at the lowest level? And then why did you both sort of rise through the ranks? The reward is accomplishment. You do something. You do whatever you want to do. Now you're focusing on the PvP stuff of Eve, and. I'd say that you can take over Eve without firing a single shot. So what do you mean place, by that? There's a place for everyone. 
there's economics in EVE that are like the real-world economics. There's invention, there's logistics, there's the enormous spy networks. There, I mean, I can manufacture stuff for 10 years and still not have made everything in EVE. And by that, I can take over markets, I can buy out markets, I can burn my enemy by economics, by actually outbuying him or making sure he doesn't get what he needs. So there's a place for everyone. The sheep you have in fleet that is pushing the button to fire the gun, he is the guy that's actually controlling the market in the next instance. And the sheep that you have in your fleet that is firing the gun, he's your most major spy who has infiltrated five alliances and feeding you intel. Etc. Etc. You don't have one role. You have several mm. roles. The club that you speak of, uh, the very few select players, it's not an exclusive club. Um, none of us were anything special. We we put in the work. We put in the effort. Um, we learned the game, um, and um, so. Anyone can rise to the position that uh, me or Molly have played in EVE, and it just takes the ambition, the want, um, and um, some people just simply don't um, enjoy that aspect of gameplay. Uh, so, uh, some do. Uh, for me, it was just a, simply a situation that uh, there was a void in the organization I was with uh, when I started Fleet Commanding, and I stepped up to fill that void because I wanted the uh i wanted to go pvp i wanted entertainment and uh there was nobody else to do it so well i'm gonna do it and uh i was horrible very horrible <laughs> and some might say i'm still horrible <laughs> but uh that's uh kind of that's kind of how it happens it's uh it's, you know, it all comes down to the player what they wanted to achieve and what they want to do and eve, and eve you can do anything you just have yeah, to put in I the think- effort I think there's a sense as well of um, of being a part of something bigger than yourself, and it's it's this opportunity to to be a part of something that people talk about for years afterwards, or be a part of a of a group. It's I mean it's the same reason why people um, sometimes join gangs in the real world. It's a it's a it's about being a part of a group, being a part of an in group, and and getting to accomplish something that you wouldn't be able to do on your own. You know, Manny, you said something at the start that that kind of uh, you know, uh, you know, perked, uh, piqued my interest, which, which is that you talked about how important it was to make sure your ops are fun. Um, which it's interesting. Again, like in traditional strategy gaming, wargaming, it's like no, the the objective is clear. The objective, you know, is to go take that hill or capture a strategic sector, something like that. But you don't have to make sure your little pretend soldiers are enjoying themselves. Uh, but <laughs> it, it sounds like in Eve, you know, if if you're not if if you're not showing your players a good time, you lose them. Uh, one of the easiest ways in Eve to beat your opponent is through breaking their morale, and um, so morale is something that every smart FC will try to do their best to cultivate and safeguard. Um, and that goes for alliance leaders and diplomats, and uh, as well. Um, if if it's not fun, um, your players can just go play another game or choose to do something else. So it ha- there has to be entertainment value to it because at the end of the day, that's why we play video games is for entertainment, for leisure, um, to relax. So you uh, have to try to cultivate that type of environment. So do most conflicts then... Like, do they usually have, and and maybe this is this is more for uh, Mole. Uh, do most conflicts have like a strategic or political purpose within the world of Eve, or is there also a lot of, well, it's been a while since we've done anything awesome, so let's go start some start some shit. Uh, I, I'm curious, you know, from from the the grand strategy level, does what happens always have a real reason? Uh, no, it does not. It could be that one of the main dudes in the Alliance woke up this morning and said, I'm bored, I want to go here and do something. (laughs) I mean, 
lots of large conflicts have started that way, as in someone invented a reason, we got to go do this because of X. But in reality, the guy woke up this morning and was bored. Right. I think there's a number of different ways to ensure uh, morale, um, because like it's not just necessarily about fun. There's also things you can do with propaganda and and with your speech. And there, I mean, there are many, many examples out there of, of people creating propaganda posters or creating these sort of false casus belli uh, to, to come up with a reason to go to war, to engage people, not necessarily even through fun, but also to, get, to give them what I mentioned before, like that sense of being a part of something bigger than themselves or being a part of a cause. Um, and but at the same time, like you said, exactly, there is totally that aspect to it of needing to be a part of something fun. Um, right before the show, I was doing a little bit of research on Manny, and I was reading about the Catch War. What was called the Catch War, and it, it all sort of. Uh, at least this is the story I got on the wiki. It all started because um, I believe Manny had decided to reset alliances with people around them, and the reason for that was because he had said it wasn't healthy for for you to be allied with everybody around you because then people get bored and want to go fight they want to go fight for somebody else and they can end up fighting for your enemy or something like that and so i guess i would totally open that up to manny and then talk about sort of the inspiration behind that or the fear that people will get bored uh yeah i mean um people that uh, live in nullsec are predominantly pvpers uh, pvpers uh, crave content and sometimes uh it's necessary to pair up with other entities in the, in the form of being allies and having blue standings, as you called in EVE Online. Uh, but when conflict is, is absent, um, you kind of are in this place where, well, we're blue to all, all, everyone that surrounds us, and now we have to go great distance to get PvP content. And that means investing a lot of time and traveling and um, looking for that content. So, so the, one of the easiest things to do uh, is to reset some of those uh, former allies, so that way uh, your members can have uh, fun PvP closer to home without having to uh, invest large amounts of time and travel. And it's interesting that you use the word content, though. Do you ever feel like a dungeon master when you're playing? <laughs> uh, somewhat. I mean, sometimes it can be like that. The, sometimes the narrative is uh, very important to what you're doing. Other times it's just for the sake of, I just want to see something explode. I want to blow things up. Mm -hmm. uh, Mole, I, I'm curious, because you said you were you were sort of the, the head of Bob, and... That's that surprised me because actually that's one of the few organizations I've heard of, and one reason I remember it so well is because I remember one day uh, a friend of mine who played Eve in college. Um, I would see him at the weirdest hours of the day in my fraternity house, and so my my, my first relation with Eve was I would be like there late night studying uh, in the common room or something, and he you hear his alarm go off at three in the morning or something, and he <laughs> like brew up some coffee and he'd be like, "Oh man, gotta gotta get some mining done before before." And then like some time zone wakes up where people were looking for him or something, so he's like trying to get it done while <laughs> while people in like the U.S. were asleep or something. Uh, but I remember one day uh, he just came out and he was really really depressed. And I was like, what's going on? And he's like, oh, man, Bob's gone. And I thought Bob was a person. <laughs> so I was, I was like, okay, well, what's, like, who was, who was Bob? How are you doing, buddy? Like, you okay? <laughs> and, and, he, and he was like, oh, yeah, no, like, yeah, Goon Swarm killed him. <laughs> killed Bob. And I was like, what? Like, okay, now, now I think we're talking about video games. Who's Goon Swarm? And, but he was really depressed because, yeah, his, his, what he considered his overarching alliance, what he considered the good guys of the EVE universe, had been killed by these bastards in Goon Swarm. And so in his telling, it was basically like... Um, you know, Mordor had taken over Gondor or something like that. Uh, and, and I'm just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of curious, um, you know, at that, at that highest level of sort of, sort of alliance management, I mean, are you just considering PvP? Are you studying the overall economic trends? And then tell me what it's like to just, like, 
have such a huge organization with so much investment and have it all kind of get blown apart? Wow. <laughs> uh, let's see. Bob was a rather small organization. We had no more than about 1,500 characters in the Alliance at the biggest. We built the Alliance with uh, vassals, really. So we had people around us that we used for numbers. Uh, as an Alliance leader, you have to keep tabs on everything you got to keep an eye on the economics you got to keep an eye on the political you got to keep an eye on everything you got to have a finger in every single pie there is and yeah that's what you got to do you got to surround yourself with people that can actually do the stuff that needs to be done there's no way you can do it all yourself it's totally impossible uh, as for dying <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, I woke up one morning and everything was buzzing everywhere. It's like, okay, what's going on? Someone disbanded Bob. Okay, what happened? And then I got the story what happened and all the information I got later on as well. What basically happened with Band of Brothers or Bob is that we had a director in a holding corporation that... Uh, went inactive, that's usually the case, and then came back and looked at things and said, oh, I don't like this anymore. So he gave his account to someone else who was in Goonswarm. So Goonswarm oh used the opportunity to take the account and push a couple of buttons, which meant the alliance was disbanded. That's what happened. Okay, so for people who don't know Eve real well, like... What does dis like? What are the consequences of disbandment? Because like, if you like, if a guild disappears or something, you know, I just reform the guild a day later with the same people. Yeah, Everyone has yeah. their same stuff. What happens when a a major alliance or corporation disbands? I know there are shared assets, but what are the ramifications of having a high level officer go rogue like that? They're major, as in every single system you have conquered has a sov, a sovereignty. A alliance owns the sovereignty. That means you have taken 200 systems by grinding them down, killing the enemies, putting up your sov control units, etc. For each system, you can talk 200 systems, 500 systems. Uh, I actually don't remember how many systems it was. But I think it was somewhere in between three and five hundred systems. Each of those systems you have to conquer. And with a press of a button, you lose control of everything. In every system, there can be a station or an outpost. And in the outpost or station, you store your ships, your supplies, your ammunition, everything you need to use apart from the ship you're actually flying right now which is ex expendable it's gonna die today or tomorrow or the day after that so you need to replace it so basically you're losing all the stations all the self controls all logistics you have built up for moving stuff from high security empire into low security nullsec which is totally anarchy and non-controlled by anything apart from the players. And you build shortcuts from Empire to get to where you need to be. So instead of flying 50 jumps with a spaceship, you can do it in four jumps with a jump bridge. And you lose all of that in five seconds flat. Do the math. Uh, okay, so... Uh, first question, does Eve still work that way? Because it seems crazy that, like, on a, on a board of directors or whatever, you'd have one person basically turn, like, flip the switch and kill something that so many players have built up. Like, are there different security measures that have come into no. play since then, or is it down to the Alliance to make sure that just doesn't happen? It's down to the Alliance. The last major Alliance disbandment we had was Darkness of the Despair, I think. You've got to correct me on that one, Manny, if I'm correct. No, that's that's right. Uh, they were the the last to be disbanded. I mean, in my view, yes, it is a faulty mechanic. It should not be like that. Uh, you should have some kind of controls 
in place so that it actually goes through some kind of security check as in several people has to approve it but there is none and there was a lot of words on forums about this when it happened to Banner Brothers because we were the first and it's still the same so it hasn't changed it's still totally the same yeah I uh I happen to uh be on the opposite side of the argument uh and in terms of the uh, the mechanic that allows people to disband alliances. Uh, I understand it's 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 definitely not fun for the person that it's happening to. One of the things I appreciate most about EVE Online is the utter chaos that can happen um, through these unexpected game mechanics and, and things. It's produced some of the greatest content um, in, that the game has ever seen. Uh, for example, the disbanding of uh, Band of Brothers or the Sob Drop and BTAC R. Um, you know, uh, it's very unintended consequences, uh, but they deliver those mistakes, those un un unintended consequences, deliver some of the best content that uh, you can uh, ever experience. Most of the greatest fights and uh conflicts in eve have all stemmed or uh, the catalyst has been uh these little errors and mistakes in uh uh weird obscure game mechanics i i totally agree on that one because i mean the mayhem after band of brothers got disbanded that was massive uh we also had another incident where Goonswarm ran out of cash in their corporation wallet, so they lost solve because you got to pay solve bills. That's also caused mayhem. And then the latest one was Bidajar, and that was also because of a solve drop. That's what started it, and it turned out this massive, huge thing that I would do again, like every day if I could. I hearken to think that uh, Eve Online is a giant soap opera. And instead of watching it, we are, all the players are the cast of this giant soap opera. And it has, uh, you know, at any given, any given day, 50,000 conflict drivers in it that are all doing different things that can, that can make minor or major impacts on, on what happens in the game. It's truly epic in, in scope and scale. And, um... When you think something can't happen or, wow, I just can't imagine something like this happening, it will happen. It's just a question of when, and sometimes things go beyond what your imagination can, can dream up. Just from a personal standpoint, though, I've never lost anything that was that significant to me in a game. Like... You know, and, and I still handle it badly. Like, I have lost save files. That The loss of that save file pisses me off. Um, I lost a <laughs> Mass Effect save file. Uh, and so I couldn't continue one of my characters uh, from Mass Effect in the next game. And that's still smart. Um, <clears throat> but I've never lost something like that reflects hundreds of hours of work and collaboration and negotiation. And... You know, it's it's interesting to me that Eve allows you to do so much, but it's also got this fragility uh, that's very different than you find in most gaming. I'm just kind of... What's your connection to the things you achieve and the things you acquire in Eve? How, like, you know, when, when you watched, like, when you woke up and discovered Bob was gone, you know, how do you handle something like that? And, and does it change your relationship to the game? Uh, it does in some ways. I mean, you're, you're losing something you built up, but you got to look beyond that and instead look, okay, we got this opportunity. What can we do better? What can we do from here? How can we move on? And at the end of the game, it is space pixels. It's pixels <laughs> on a screen. It is not something real. If you are someone who cannot handle losing a space pixel you should not play eve i mean it's that simple if you cannot handle it if you have a bad temper with stuff like that don't go there please don't <laughs> right and i think one of the one of the important things to remember is that um 
Bob didn't just straight up die when it was disbanded. There was there was a, uh, an effort to reform under the name Kenzoku, and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what it was like to sort of like, you know, all the sand was falling out of your fingers, but try to like get that back together again and try to retake what you had lost. Because I know you guys were able to take some of what you had lost before that. I was hoping you could talk a little bit about that. Uh, actually, what we did to try and save whatever solve we could at the time was to take all the players from old Band of Brothers into a alt alliance that we had that we used for other stuff that was mm, Kensoko. Mm. Uh, so we just tried for it to see, okay, see what can we save? Can we do anything with it? But at that point in time, there was nothing we could do. It mm -hmm. was way too much because every single Vulture and Eve came rolling on us when this happened. So we basically gave it <clears throat> one month or maybe two months of trying and then we said, okay, let's take a break, let's plan ahead and do something proper instead, which we did. So Kensuko was never an intention to continue Bob. Mm -hmm. the, the intention to continue came later on with the uh, It Alliance. So we've talked a lot about PvP, but something I wondered about, because you both mentioned that there is so much you can do in EVE. There, there are so many other jobs people can have. There's this entire economy and mar and all these markets that you know have to be monitored. But I, I, I'm wondering... Um, like how relevant how how interconnected is all of it like for instance when i play a grand strategy game like one of my favorite games is uh, europa universalis 4 right now uh, and that's a game where you know the global market affects how much wealth your empire has and that in turn has a knock on effect to the type of army you can field and all these factors sort of have to be weighed in the balance and, and you have to deal with all of them uh, when you're when you're playing eve at, at sort of you know on any level particularly at sort of the high high level like of a fleet commander or or alliance officer um how 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 invested do you also have to be in keeping track of what's happening with the overall economy, with making sure that there's manufacturing happening, uh, you know, within within your alliance? Tell me a little bit about how all those pieces go together. You can't have one without the other. It's impossible. Uh, if the guys get don't get their stuff at the front lines, there's nothing you can do. You might as well go home and do something else. Uh, the economy for the economy people you got to have money to be able to fund the people you got to have items to be able to use you got to have ships to be able to fly you got to have sub controlling units to be able to claim sovereignty you got to be able to build bridge networks you got to be able to put up star bases in space to harvest moons moons which then give minerals to build ships so it's an unending circle of stuff and the few things that i mentioned here are by no means all of it there's a gazillion things which needs to happen for the end person to be able to use his ship everything is player driven every single thing right and everything that does kind of come back to money in the end anyways because you're never going to get people to fly in your fleet if you don't have the money to replace their ships. There's this thing, uh, there's something in, in EVE called a fleet doctrine in which if you're, you're basically given a blueprint for what your ship needs to look like. And if your ship meets the requirements, if it's fit correctly, if it has all the right weapons and it has, if you're flying the right type of ship, the most alliances will replace that for you when you get blown up inevitably. And so that's just, it's a huge part of getting people to come around and be actually go into the fight because they're, they're not going to fight for you if they're going to actually lose their own stuff. You have to be able to replace and pay those people to be there. Uh, yeah, it's definitely so. Um, ship replacement programs uh, were kind of brought into the game by the by the players because uh, it was better to for players are easier for organizations to um, manage the the income that you can generate from extracting resources or um, by um, um, offering uh, access to those resources to other groups uh, in exchange for monetary compensation. Um, so that became pretty prevalent, I guess, uh, about uh, 
2008 or so, uh, 2007, 2008. Um, and, um, it's just, a it's, it's, it's a better system. Uh, you've, you've got to be able to withstand attrition and warfare and a, if you manage that collectively, uh, at the Alliance level or coalition level, uh, you're going to do better, uh, at, uh, at uh, withstanding that attrition because uh, attrition warfare used to be a really big thing in EVE Online like uh, you used to be able to just starve out opponents and blockade their their reap supply paths um, it's it kind of went to a bit of a downturn for a few years but it's slowly making a return um, and the developers at CCP are trying to make attrition warfare uh, much more uh, of a of an element in uh, in conflicts. So um, it's definitely one of those things that's uh, very important. Uh, now I also know that CCP have sort of made it a principle uh, that they will try as far as they can to make sure all their games are connected and their first big experiment with that obviously was Dust 514 and I'm just you know kind of curious how that has worked out like it always seemed to me that it would be incredibly difficult to begin plugging other games and other systems into EVE Online which is already this really like intricate complicated thing uh, has, has the introduction of a thing like Dust 514 changed things from your perspective has become an important factor to weigh uh, when you're playing EVE? Uh, no. Uh, the scope and the vision for it um, is is definitely there to make it so but uh, the implement the, the implement implementation of it has has not been such as thus far uh i think ccp wants to integrate it more to where thus can make a bigger impact but uh i think they have a long way to go i think it's uh i think it's really neat that dust exists and i i like that it exists personally and and i would like to see it have a bigger impact but thus far it hasn't it has promised to actually do something but right now the integration between eve and dust is more or less non-existent it could be so so much more and i wish it was but right now it's a parenthesis don't even bother if you're doing this based thing do you think the new pc version is going to change that at all yes definitely yeah, I did this interview. I did sort of like a, a mock interview one time with the. I, I just posted on the Eve and Dust Five One Four subreddits just to get a sense from uh, the, that part of those communities about what people were thinking about Dust Five One Four. It had been out for probably eight months to a year at the time, and it was basically unanimous across both, even in the hardcore Dust community, that Dust was kind of a disappointment and that it was not what all, it was not all that it could be, but that, you know, maybe because this is CCP and because this is Eve, Eve related, we'll wait around and maybe it'll be really cool in five years, uh, but we'll be here and waiting for that to happen. It was interesting to me when I talked to, uh, I talked to the uh, I talked to the CCP guys at GDC, and they were showing uh, Valkyrie again. And you know, when I talked to them a year ago uh, at E three about Valkyrie, they were very they were very adamant that like just like Dust, it was going to be this is going to be plugged into Eve from day one. What happens in Valkyrie is going to be relevant to Eve, and vice versa. That's that's core to what we're doing. And GDC, they definitely backed off that uh, messaging a little bit. They were very <laughs> much more like, we just want to make a good space combat sim and then we're going to figure out how it fits into the eve universe but there was kind of this admission that with dust 514 they'd start they put the cart before the horse they'd started with this idea that whatever we do it has to sock it into eve and we're going to build a shooter that's going to do that and then they went and tried to build a shooter that would that would fit this design parameter, uh, and it's been kind of this uh, you know back asswards uh, approach. Uh, and it sounds like Valkyrie they they've more come around to the idea that you know maybe maybe bringing things together with Eve is sort of a cherry on top of a good game, but not the way to begin. Uh, it'll be very interesting to see how they uh, sort of develop this. Um, 
Ender, before we before we go, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your project. Uh, you know, there's 12 days left to fund it, um, and you know, tell first. You mentioned one of the challenges you were facing. Uh, you know, with this project, is that getting sort of a neutral perspective and and telling the the objective truth of what happened in the history of Eve uh, is going to be tough. And I, I'm, I'm curious if you go into that a little bit and what sort of biases, uh, you know, you're going to have to cut through. I think that the number one most important thing to do with starting with that problem is just admit to yourself that you're never going to get that non-biased perspective. If you can start from there and then just use that understanding that you're never going to get that that one great person who's going to tell you the whole truth about everything, then you can just start from scratch and make sure you're doing five interviews instead of one. You know, make sure you're reading three different wikis instead of the one wiki entry. Um, and it is such a it is such a minefield out there with people who are just um, in a lot of ways very worried that their own legacy isn't going to be the official record. They, a lot of people really want you know their own story to be the official uh, the official record, um, and that does that does tend to lead to a lot of deception. Um, and and there are people out there who consider deception to be part of the metagame, to where there is no, they don't see any point to doing this this giant war if you're not going to be remembered as the hero, um, and so they do skew uh, skew the message so that they will be remembered as the person who you know triumphed against the great evil. Um, now you've obviously you've exceeded your Kickstarter goal uh, by quite a bit, and I'm kind of wondering. At this point, have you raised an intimidating amount of money? Like, do you now have like it was always going to be kind of a big, complicated project, mm-hmm. uh, but at this point, like this has gotten a lot of attention, it's gotten a lot of funding, and this is definitely the sort of project that like you could do this and never stop. Uh, <laughs> you so, definitely could, yeah, yeah. So, like, are you are you starting to get worried a little bit about like sort of how important this thing has become, how big it's become, and? Uh, you know, how high, well, certainly my expectations are, but a lot of people's. (laughs) I'm not worried really at all. It's actually like every, every little bit that it climbs, like if I pass 200,000, then I'll get scared. Um, But right now it's just really exciting. It's exciting because uh, this project is vastly more viable now than it was uh, before. Like before it was, it was a really difficult thing and I was going to like scrape to get it together and it was going to be great, but it was going to be really difficult. I'll probably have to do it alongside a side job, but now with, with more funding, I can devote myself more fully to it and spend more time doing interviews, spend more time doing research. And it becomes a much more doable process, I think, as you climb up. And, and you're able to pay for more than just um, more than just printing and shipping costs. But like now I can hire one of the, the things that got me the most excited is that I can actually hire someone to do transcription for me. So I don't have to be terrified of doing interviews because I'm going to have to spend two hours writing it out on paper afterwards. I can just pay, ship it off to somebody else and pay them 20, 25 bucks and then have it back, you know, in my inbox as text. And that just it gives me this so much more freedom to, to focus uh, on the things that actually matter rather than doing a lot of the grunt work. And and now that we have a ton of extra funding, we can actually do this. I'm I'm really hoping to be able to turn this into a big hardcover version where we can show off a lot of the propaganda that people have made and uh, do something more visual that shows people with through actual images from the game, through the things that the fans have created, rather than having to portray everything through words. I think that's liberating in a lot of ways to be actually able to show what actually happened through pictures. Are you going to invest in sort of buffing up your eve skills as well just so you understand a bit better what guys like uh mole and manny are are up to (laughs) i I definitely want to i'm 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 hoping to eventually be able to go on like fly alongs with fleets and stuff like that uh to be able to get a feel for what it's like out there oh man i'll bet you they're gonna be so happy having a guy like you along too (laughs) i have to cut in there for a second though there's no need to spend any money whatsoever to get on the high level play no no there's none. You don't have to do anything. The guy in the frigate can be your most important pilot, and he can be three months three months old and has absolutely no money. Right. That's, a, that's an interesting thing where a lot of alliances um, have made this really big push to try and be really friendly to new players and to try to dispel the myth that you have to be playing E for four years to be able to actually be an influence. 
Uh, whereas the truth is that there are actually very, very influential jobs uh, at the very low, low ranking, uh, low ranking status within an alliance. Are, are you planning on uh, making public any sort of advanced excerpts uh, before this this project finally wraps up? Like, when are you going to get the first taste of what you're up to? <laughs> I, I think so. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I've always wanted to do is to release like maybe an open Google document or something to the community so that they can go in and advance and take a look uh, at what I've been working on and, and just serve as like a, an initial bullshit detector. Um, the more you can crowdsource this kind of thing, like crowdsourcing on wikis is, is, is sort of a good idea. It's just incomplete. You also need to have someone who has editorial control. So like I kind of do want to combine those two philosophies by opening things up so that anybody who's interested can maybe come along and, and read something and just say, well, obviously that's not true or obviously this guy is lying or something like that because like i'm open to the fact that like i'm going to to need help from people and i'm going to need to admit that i can't get everything right on the first try so like i have a, an eve specialist editor who's really knowledgeable about eve's history you know i hope to be you know sending excerpts out to people who are really knowledgeable about the game and then hopefully the final coup de grace is when things something's almost ready for print be open it up to the to open it up to the eve audience and and have them tell me what they think Great, and you'll be able to. You can find uh, Andrew's project, A History of the Great Empires of Eve Online, on Kickstarter. Uh, as I said, as a recording, it has twelve days left to left to go for funding, uh, and so you can still contribute if if you want to. Uh, and thank you so much, uh, Andrew Mole and Manny, for spending the afternoon or evening, as the case may be, uh, talking to. A complete novice uh, about about Eve. Uh, it's been fascinating getting the perspective of people who actually know what's what's going on inside the, the headlines that I read about Eve. You know, Rob, uh, evolution is recruiting. <laughs> you know, I do have a copy of Eve. I've never dusted off, so I don't know. Maybe this is the time. There you go. No better way. Uh, thanks so much for having me, Rob. It's really been a lot of fun. All right. Until next week, this has been Three Moves Ahead. Good night.